In this hour, we have Michael Denzel Smith, author of Invisible Man, Got the Whole World Watching. It's actually coming out this summer, June of this year. He's an Alfred Nobler Fellow at the Nation Institute, also a contributing writer for The Nation magazine. More than a pleasure to have him with us. He wrote a great piece for The Nation entitled Trump's Racism Didn't Scare Me. Now it does. Michael, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, why, what made the shift from you not being fearful of Trump's racism? Well, first of all, I want, I want you to explain to people why you believe that Trump is racist. And do you believe he is racist or do you believe he's just putting out racist rhetoric, whether he believes it or not? And perhaps that's even more dangerous. Well, I mean, here is a man who, in 1989, took out a full-page ad in the New York Times to talk about the so-called Central Park Five who were arrested for a rape that they did not commit and talking about, you know, a return to order and the police needing to do their jobs and things. And obviously we, we know now that the, the five young men who were charged with that crime were, were all innocent. Um, so you could go all the way back there to sort of, Trump being a part of a, a racist discourse. But now, you know, in, in the modern time, you have him leading the charge almost in terms of the, uh, the birther movement against President Obama calling for his long-form birth certificate, uh, which was, I mean, the, sort of the height of the racism, racist backlash against President Obama in, in the terms of, like, believing him to be uh, valid as president and, and uh having deceived the American people, something that had not happened with any other president ever before. Um, and, and, you know, now you can look at his rhetoric around, uh, you know, Mexicans and the idea that Mexico is sending rapists to the United States, uh, that we need to build a wall to help keep these, this criminal element out, you know, but only signal, uh, sing, uh, singling out the country of Mexico and <laughs> Uh, this dangerous threat that's uh, crossing the border and getting into our country and somehow uh, disrupting life here. And then, you know, our most recently racialized group uh, would be Muslims and the rhetoric that he he has around Muslims and the idea of banning Muslims from entry into the United States. So, uh, you know, he said some very inflammatory things, uh, and yes, they are racist in their nature. And, and I think that, you know, for me for a while, it was that I wasn't taking it seriously, as I think most people weren't taking the the presidential run of Donald Trump seriously because he has long been sort of a sideshow. Uh, you know, he's, he's an entertainment figure. He's participated in, like, the, the WWE, and he's had a reality show on television for so, so long. Uh, he, you know, he owned the, the, the you know, Miss, uh, his, his Miss Universe or whichever one he had. Um, you know, he he's always been just sort of a distraction uh but now he's winning. <laughs> now he's actually racking up a delegate count. And now it's scary because what we have here is not just someone who, I mean, his politics don't fit that far outside of what the mainstream Republican uh, politics are now as they've shifted even further right in the past decade or so. Uh, he doesn't, he, he's not situated too far out of the the politic of a Ted Cruz or a Marco Rubio. But what's dangerous about Trump is that he is explicitly appealing 
to racism as a political ideology. Uh, he is throwing off the veil in a way that, you know, Republican politics has not been this explicit in quite some time. I mean, you have Lee Atwater and then and sort of Richard Nixon and, and that crew sort of implementing the Southern strategy and that really gaining hold during the, the 80s with Ronald Reagan, that you basically use uh, coded language to appeal to the white working class voter that could that uh, that would still hold some racial animus, but you use it, you use language that makes it so that they don't that you don't uh, appear to be racist. Donald Trump is throwing all of that off and just being nakedly racist, and he is winning. And this is a problem because it, it means that we're we're, we're experiencing. A well, well, Michael, hold that thought. We got to take a break. When we come back, I want to hear why that's a problem, other than the obvious. I also want to talk about what this might be saying and and about fear, especially of the white man. And we'll talk more. Michael Denzel Smith, author of Invisible Man, got the whole world watching. He is also a contributing writer for The Nation magazine. Back with him right after this. We are back with our guest, Michael Denzel Smith, author of Invisible Man, got the whole world watching, coming out this June of 2016. He's an Alfred Nobler Fellow at the Nation Institute and a contributing writer for The Nation magazine. He wrote a piece, Trump's Racism Didn't Scare Me, Now It Does. Michael, thank you for holding a welcome back. Please continue what you were saying before the break. Sorry to interrupt, but we had like 30 seconds and I didn't want to interrupt your uh, second part of your statement. Oh, no, no problem. Uh, yeah, it's, it was something that I could brush off at first, Trump's racism, because he held no institutional power. Uh, you know, in his personal business dealings, that is one thing. But uh, the things that he was talking about and things that he was trying to implement, he could not do. But now he's winning and he's racking up delegates. And he is likely, uh, if things hold, to become the Republican presidential nominee. Yes, he is. And this is scary um, in that, you know, he is now in a position where he is appealing to racism as a political ideology, something that the you know, Republicans have not done for quite some time, and making that... Now, but, but talk about that. Is he appealing to racism as a political ideology? Um, because it does seem that racism, at least with his supporters, 30 to 50 percent in all 50 states in this country... Um, it is is politically acceptable because they don't like quote politically correct um, you know ways of thinking and ways of speaking and I'm wondering if you feel because I do and I'm a white chick but that this plays into because when you look at Trump's crowds they're very white it's very hard to find any person of color in the room and they're very male is it because in 2054 the majority white male will no longer be that is it fear that prompts them to use to support this man, because if they keep the Muslims out and can get rid of the Hispanics and keep the blacks at bay, if you will. I mean, I heard a supporter today being interviewed at a Trump rally, and he said that the black people were not this is exactly how he said it. The black people weren't sophisticated enough to know the issues, and that's why they vote Democrat. But that nobody in that room is anything against black people. Obviously not even realizing what he had just said. Right. Perhaps he did and not even caring. So is this, is this a white fear of what's coming, which is a white minority? Well, in, in my piece today, what I, what I said was that Donald Trump is a, 
a response to what's happening right now. It's not even looking down the road in, in terms of demographics, but it's what's happening right now in this country in terms of you've had in the past few years social movements that have risen up to talk about inequality in this country. You've had Occupy Wall Street. You've had the movement for Black Lives or Black Lives Matter. You have had the dreamers who have been talking about immigration. You've had people demand their their equal share, their equal rights in this country right now. And what you what you then have is folks who believe that that's an attack on them and what they have and their privileges and their rights, uh, which mainly lies with uh, who Trump is now turning out in large numbers is, uh, you know, typically the the aggrieved uh, white male, like, who, and they are, they are supporting Trump vocally in a way that's, that sort of, that is a backlash to this moment in which we are experiencing a demand for inclusion, a demand for equality, a demand for justice. And so you have the people most threatened by that, uh, trying to stem the tide of what that looks like. And they believe that Donald Trump is the person who most embodies their own angst and their own anger and their own fear that these groups will indeed come to power now, not even a sort of in, in that. Right, right. In, 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 yeah, in, in the future, the fear of the future, but I, I mean taking action now. You, you talk, and I quote in your piece, but at the start of this campaign season, my belief was that he was largely a distraction. Trump's brand of racism, while vile, is not that kind that usually worries me, you said. You wrote, he says mean, hurtful things that traffic in demeaning stereotypes, it exercises no real power. That changes. Now if he becomes the nominee, he has power. What do you fear, because I agree with you on this, and I'm a white woman, but what do you fear the future would look like for America with the Trump presidency? I've heard things like race wars. I've heard things like increased violence. I've heard people fear that we will no longer have the alliance that we do in the international community. I mean, this is a guy that you know, became a rating sensation on reality TV saying you're fired. He cannot fire elected officials to the House or the Senate. He cannot fire elected officials appointed or uh, by birth, if you will, individuals that run and lead other nations. So talk to me about the power that he has and the danger that comes with that power in the hands of a man like Donald Trump, in your opinion. Yeah. So I don't think that Donald Trump would be that different from any other Republican candidate as president. I think that he would govern pretty much the same way, which makes all of Oh, wait, wait a minute. This is a guy that's promised to deport over 11 million people. We all know that's physically impossible. He's promised to build a yeah. wall now 10 this feet is- higher or 10 times higher, was 10 feet higher, right, uh, and have the Mexican government pay for it. We know that's not going to happen. We know the wall can't be built even by us, our government. We can't afford it. He's also said that he would ban all Muslims from the United States uh, – of coming into the United States of America. He said he would close all mosques. He's taught about ID programs. These are all things that he cannot do solely with right. uh, executive power as president. However, we now have one senator, Jeff Sessions, that has come forward to support and endorse Donald Trump. We've had two congressional members uh, from different sides of the country that have come forth. And I, I don't think these three will be the last. I think that these are weak men uh, that will stand. I don't think the women will, but I think these are weak men in the Republican Party who will back him. 
uh, because they want to keep their jobs if they're in districts that support him and a part of that and have big numbers in that 30 to 50 percent approval range in their uh, you know, constituency in their state. Um, and, and, right. and quite frankly, that's all he needs. I mean, if he has the support uh, in, right, in, right. The, in the House, you know, so, he can start to get legislation passed that is frightening for the, for the, right. the, the fabric yeah, I, of America. I, I, but this is, essentially what I'm saying is that, you know, if you look at the other two leading candidates in the Republican race, their politics are not different in those regards from Donald Trump. The difference is in the language usage. And what that's what troubles me is that his his explicit appeals to racism in that respect mean that uh, in the future we will have candidates across the country, not just at the presidential level, but at, at local levels, at city council levels, at, at mayor, mayor levels, we're talking about people who will make those explicit appeals to racism and turn people out in numbers because they're racist and not in spite of it. Uh, and and the, 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 the political precedent that, that that will cast means now that we're not just dealing with sort of a hidden contempt anymore. We're not just like, we're not dealing with that anymore. What we're what we're seeing is. Um, actually political viable racism uh, and and that frightens me in that it's scary right now when it's hidden it's it's like in the work a day of politics the way that racism continues to operate is frightening but when it's out in the open that way and not just out in the open but vocally and politically and supported at the polls by american citizens this means something this means a, a you know a character thing about the way that that the united states is operated I, and i agree but how does the republic what does this do to the party to the process and to all of the progress that the united states has made that is contrary to the rhetoric of Donald Trump being put forth, being, you know, spewed, uh, you know, the venom being spewed with that rhetoric now. I think it undermines the idea that we've made as much progress as we would like to think, right? I think that, but we also have to note that every time the United States makes progress, there is a backlash. And you have to note, Donald Trump is the backlash. Uh, Donald Trump and his support so are you then is saying, the backlash. So are you then saying, in a sense, that... Donald Trump's success shows us that we've been doing something right with regard to be being progressive and trying to be an interwoven fabric of various religions, it, races, it ethnicities, means, and cultures? It certainly means that there has been movements and there have been progress. There has been progress, right? Uh, I, I think that, that that doesn't mean that we, we have reached any sort of plateau that we can be proud of necessarily, but we have made some sort of progress here in this country in, in terms of dealing with this, or we at least have seen movements that are, that are challenging us. And now you have the backlash, and we have to understand that that's going to be a part of the process, but we can't give into it. The problem is, did you see so many people giving into it and believing that somehow they are a part of a, a future that, that represents progress. And so, you know, these aggrieved white men that are showing up to the polls for Donald Trump aren't fashioning themselves as some, some sort of anti-progressive. They believe that Donald Trump, in his language of restoration, is the progress that they are seeking. And that's, that's a problem. That's, that's a problematic that we are still there. 
with our electorate, that these naked appeals to racism can arouse support. That's what troubles me about the rise of Donald Trump. And, you, you, you know, this is this something, would you say, shared in circles of those that you have spoken with? Because, you know, I think there are people that, myself included, that really weren't scared by him. Because at first, I didn't think he followed through with this. I thought it was an ego trip. I thought it would be temporary. I don't think, you know, he has the time to be president and certainly doesn't work well with others, which you need to definitely have the ability to do as president, not just to work with Congress and to work with many staff members, but to be able to sit down with leaders from uh, the rest of the world. And, you know, again, I, I, I think I think this feeds his ego greatly, but that he still perceives this as a popularity contest and a reality show, and it really isn't that, because the cameras will stop rolling when he is in the Oval Office and in these meetings. Yeah, I think that's exactly how Trump has been allowed to rise to this position, is because people have not taken him seriously, because the way that he's been covered has been a matter of, uh, you know, a sort of entertainment lens to Donald Trump, and no, we didn't put the kind of the media didn't put the kind of scrutiny on his statements the way you would a serious political candidate um but he continued to say these things that continue to get repeated he continued to get platforms to say them over and over again and he's aroused that that of support he's awakened he's awakened that sleeping giant of of, of american uh, vitriolic racism that's politically viable and he has found his voice he has found his constituency and yes i mean it, it seems as though uh we could we, we should have avoided this we should not be here we should not have someone with zero political experience right. zero uh, uh experience holding any sort of office uh leading the charge as president of the uh, as republican nominee for president of the united states but here we are and now it's a question of what do we do with it it's interesting that um a couple of things that you know, really stood out to me in your piece. And, you know, one of which is that you said Trump is a one percenter who threatens violence against black and brown protesters. He speaks directly to the angst of the mediocre white men whose privilege is threatened by these movements. He is the backlash. We've seen in this country a lot of backlash against protesters. We've seen tanks and tear gas against people, as we saw in Ferguson as just one example. What happens going forward to the freedoms in, in, in this nation that we have under the Constitution and our First Amendment? And what happens to the race relations that we are working hard to repair uh, between the police and the African-American community? And not just the police and the African-American community, but more so especially with his rhetoric between black and white. Well, I mean that's an unknowable, uh, but it 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 puts it in in the context that um, we we now are experiencing uh, someone who directly is is a is a refutation of that from a certain segment of the population. Like he embodies their disgust at 
these social movements, at these, at these discussions that we're having, at these moments of tension where we're trying to solve some of these problems. So to say that you, that some of the population wants, as their president, as the person that, that's supposed to represent them in government, uh, someone who directly uh, has threatened violence against some of these people who are challenging the way things are done in, in the United States, means that we're, we're just not where we where a lot of us would hope that we were. Uh, we are still in the in that stage of, of direct confrontation as opposed to any sort of of idea of building coalition uh, across uh, racial identification, religion, any of those those identifying markers. We are not there yet. We are still living through we are living through now a moment in which uh, people view uh, those seeking justice on the basis of, uh, of you know, syst- systemic oppression, uh, people view them as some form of uh, some form of derelict, some some form of detriment to their society, and so we're we're just not where we would like to be in in those terms, and so if. The, the idea of a Trump presidency, again, I, I just don't want us to, to, to paint him as some particular sort of monster in the way that he might govern, because I, again, don't think that he is too far off from where the Republican Party is right now, which is exactly why he has risen to, to the prominence that he has within the party. I think that uh, politically he is not separate from what they have. He is, uh, his rhetoric, though, certainly is more in your face and it's more direct than the coded language that the Republican Party would like to uh, would, would like us to hear from them and that is what that's the part that's dangerous to me about Trump is less whether or not he politically uh, is in, is out of step with the mainstream because I don't think that he is with the Republican with, with respect to the Republican Party I think that his language and his rhetoric when he is the the likely nominee is problematic because it represents those appeals to racism that are so direct and so uh, so, so so visceral that uh, it sets a precedent for precedent for the way in which our politics will be conducted that actively seeks to shut out. Uh, all of the voices that have been able to, in in the years of progress, been able to enter into this conversation and and ask for and demand that they be a part of it and work just and work towards justice. I think that you know his rhetoric uh, it flies directly in the face of that idea of democracy in terms of uh, him being so vocally uh, so vocally passionate about his contempt for people who don't look like him that um, that it, it certainly represents a regression that we would not like to see. Absolutely. But again, a- absolutely. Michael, we are out of time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being so uh, thorough and comprehensive in your piece and in this interview today. On Twitter, follow Michael at Michael Smith. That's M-Y-C-H-A-L Smith. The website is thenation.com. And again, you can pick up his book, Invisible Man, Got the Whole World Watching, this summer, June 2006.